Welcome to the Victory Life Church Podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at vlcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. Well, if you open up your Bibles to Thessalonians, we are making our way through the book of Thessalonians. We have called it the model church. It is a church to look at that we can model ourselves after. It's always good to have a hero in our lives or have a person in our lives, or in this case, a church in our lives that we can look at and graph from and glean from so that we can become a church that brings honor and glory to our Lord Jesus Christ. Last week, we looked at chapter 1, and we knew that a model church needs influential, godly people in order for it to be a successful, fruitful model church. This week, I want to draw your attention to something, and that is to influential pastors. Now, you may be sitting there, okay, I'm checking out because what does it have to do with me? But I want you to be able to answer this question by the end of this service. What should I look for when I look for someone to be a pastor in my life? Whether it's here or even the people that you tune into on the radio or on television. What are the things that I should look for? So I pray by the end of this message, influential pastors make up a model church. Now, you can be a small group leader also. You can be a teacher of the Word of God. You can put your name there also. And if you're not a teacher or preacher, you should be in your home of the Word of God. Let me first go to a passage in Timothy to remind you of something before we even get started of the qualifications of a pastor. Many of you know where that passage is. Some of you don't know where that passage is, but if you'll turn there to Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 3, I want to read to you out the gate that there must be things in a pastor's life that you look for before they even come and speak into your life. They need to qualify And I think a lot of churches are overlooking this. It used to be when you would go to a church, they would ask for references. A lot of people get in churches, and and the church that hires them has no idea what they've been through in the last five, ten years of their lives. And that's the reason they walked away from a particular church, only to bring those sets of problems to the church that they're going to serve. So let's look at the qualifications beginning in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. Here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, the overseer, we're talking about bishops, pastors. They're synonymous words for the elders or pastors. Now, if the overseer must be above reproach, The husband of but one wife, some argue, is it one wife at a time, or is it that he's never been able to be divorced? That's for a debate 
at a later time. But one wife, temperate, self-controlled, even on the pickleball court, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach, not given to drunkenness, nor violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage, here's a key point, he must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. If anyone does not know how to manage his family, how can he take care of the house of God or the church of God? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He also must have a good reputation with outsiders so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. So that's the beginning point. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 3. You're looking for someone to be a pastor in your life. You're looking for a new church and you're wondering what the pastor's like. It must start here. He must qualify in order for you to begin looking at him to be your pastor. Now as we go to 1 Thessalonians, Paul is going to remind them sort of in a negative way, and you flip the coin around and you'll see the positive things about what he offered to the Thessalonians. He is responding to his critics that he really was not a pastor. He was just passing through. He was in it for his own interest. He had no qualifications or credentials. He's answering the critics' accusations to the Thessalonians in Thessalonica in chapter 2. So let's begin in verse 1. I'm going to have big F's so that you remember these, okay? A pastor first has a fruitful ministry, an influential pastor. You're looking for a pastor to be a pastor in your life. You're looking for one that has a fruitful ministry. Notice in verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's responding to them now. After he gets a report from Timothy, how well they're doing. He said, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not a failure. So the first thing I look at in this letter is you want a pastor that has a, a fruitful ministry. They tried to say to the Thessalonians, Paul didn't bear any fruit in Thessalonica. And Paul turns it back around and says, listen, the fact that you exist, the fact that there are born again, baptized believers, baptized in the family of God, in the midst of persecution, there is a church that's still thriving in the midst of persecution, is evident that God was working through us and that you exist. I want to bring something to your attention at this time. Sometimes there's a tendency to think that the only fruitful church is, is a mega church. Let me contrast the businesses with the churches. Do you realize in our country that there are 32.5 million small businesses in the country? That represents 99.9% .9 of all the businesses in the United States. Do you know how many people the average business employs? Ten people. So are you going to say because they're not a Walmart, they're not a Home Depot, 
They're not a lows that they're insignificant. No, they represent 99.9% of all the businesses in the country. Do you know how many churches there are in America? 380,000 churches in America. Do you know the average size of a church in America? 70 people. 70 people. Are we going to say that those churches, that's an average size. So a small church is 20 to 30 to 40 people. And then, of course, you have mega church. And so we would be considered like an above average church. I think last week we had 225 plus kids, uh, youth that come here, another 40, 50, 60, plus some adults that come twice a month because of their jobs. So we are growing. By the way, I want to make a point here. Because we are growing, we are thinking, please, Pray with us of starting two services for your sake, not for our sake only. You have all those workers over there that don't get to sit in a service and grow in fellowship with Jesus Christ. We want to afford them that opportunity. Amen? And then we want to give you the opportunity to worship earlier or later. Who said 12 o'clock high was the only time you could actually worship and that was the most spiritual hour on a Sunday? And so we want you to be praying about that because God is causing this church to be fruitful. But it's not because necessarily of size, but because people are being baptized. People's lives are being changed like they were in Thessalonica. And so an influential pastor is one that has a fruitful ministry. You're looking to see if they have a fruitful ministry, not necessarily the size of the churches. By the way, because of COVID... There are over 4,500 churches that have closed in the last year as of 2021. We're only starting 3,000 churches. Not only that, the average age of a pastor, you guessed it, is 63 years old. People are not entering the ministry. God, we want God to raise up some ministers in this church And I pray that you'll be thinking about that, that God, are you calling me to go into the ministry, to surrender my whole life to do nothing but the work of God? We got our eye on you, and he has his tag on you. We're looking for you. Something else that Paul addresses in his letter, he said, for an influential pastor in a model church, they must be fearless. Fearless in the face of persecution. Verse 2. You know how badly we have been treated at Philippi just before we came to you, and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare his good news to you boldly, despite great opposition. Wow. He had just come from Philippi where literally he and Silas had to lay against a wall while they literally beat them. So bad their body was open. Then they went to jail. They put them in shackles on their hands and feet. And they were singing praises to God because they said, Wow, you've honored us by counting us worthy to suffer for your name. And then they led the jailer and his household to Christ. And then... They escorted him out of town, and he went to Thessalonica, where they faced more opposition to advancing the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, can you imagine being beaten, 
and then going to the next town, and already you see right away, I'm in trouble. Notice he said, God gave them the courage to be able to continue to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that you have courage on your jobs, in your neighborhood, to shine for Jesus Christ, and you won't shrink back from that opportunity. But in this particular case, Paul had been suffering enough, and yet he boldly preached the gospel to Jesus Christ. So if you're, if you're going to have a pastor of a church, especially in these day and age, the day and age that we live in, they have to be fearless in the face of those critics. That's the kind of pastor you want serving you for times like this. The word bold means to speak boldly and freely, to speak out and speak publicly without fear. And too many fail to witness for Christ because they fear, you guessed it, ridicule, embarrassment, mockery, persecution. They're secret believers of Christ instead of bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. Fearless. Something else about an influential pastor in a model church, <laughs> they're not a fraud. Notice in verse 3. So you can see he's answering his critics and telling the Thessalonians that we were, we were not preaching with any deceit or any impure motives or trickery. We all remember the biggest fraud, financial fraud in our lifetime. Don't we know who that is? Bernie Madoff. He made off with billions of dollars of people's money. Do you know who's the biggest religious fraud in our time, at least in my day and age? The Bakers. Tammy Faye Baker and Jim Baker took off with everyone's money when they decided to build another Disneyland, American heritage, like Disney Water Park. And they sold way more condos or vacation places than they had until they were found out. You see, you don't want a pastor that is a fraud. It's, by the way, if you're looking for the right things in a pastor, just like if you're looking for the right things in a spouse or a boyfriend or girlfriend, if you're looking for the right things, you'll spot a fraud very easily, especially on television. And so if you're going to look for a pastor, look for one that's not afraid, fearless, it's not a fraud. How about a pastor that's fixated on pleasing God? You're looking for a pastor. If you're looking for one, you're looking for one that's fixated on pleasing God. Notice in 1 Thessalonians verse 4. We speak a message approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. When you preach the gospel, even before I got up here, there are so many times I checked my heart when I was in my office. Lord, remind me 
my, what my motive is. And my motive is to please God first. I am fixated. I'm obsessed with. I want to make sure every single motive I have, whether I'm giving something or whether I'm singing or whether I'm preaching the gospel or how I'm living my life, I'm fixated on the fact that I want to please him more than you. Now, it's easy to spot those pastors that are not fixated on pleasing God, but are fixated on pleasing people. They won't ever preach judgment. They won't ever talk about hell. They compromise with the culture on morals. They're more fixated on pleasing the people than they are pleasing God because they can't stand the heat. They can't stand the persecution. You don't want a pastor like that. You see, God calls preachers to preach the gospel. I always tell someone, if you feel like God's calling to preach the gospel, I'll ask them first, can you do anything else? Not, are they capable of doing anything else? Do they desire to do anything else? God calls men to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you kind of authenticate that when you allow someone to serve you in that capacity because you see the hand of God on those preachers. So you want to join a church where the pastor is influential with God and the people of God and desires to serve God and please God first and foremost. I know I can stand with my eyes wide open with you, the camera looking at me, you looking at me, unapologetically, I know that I live to please you, Father, you, Jesus. He's the one that I want to make smile on me more than you. That's the kind of pastor that you need to look for. How about a pastor that does not use flattery to impress his people? You ever bumped into those kind of pastors? I've heard those pastors pray. I've heard him preach on television. Notice Paul tells this church, I, I did not use flattery when I preached to you. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. I think about a character in the Bible how many know Absalom? You know who Absalom is? It was a very handsome man, long hair, well-liked. And uh, his dad was going through some difficult times as king of Israel. So he decides to use flattery to win the people over to his side. So he stands outside the city gate and says, Oh, my dad doesn't really care for you, but... Absalom, I do. I love you. Bring your cases to me. Bring your problems to me, and I'll fix them. He was using flattery. Notice how far that got him. He hung on a tree while the enemy threw darts into his body and killed him. There are a lot of pastors that use flattery in order to win people over. I like what Eugene Patterson, I'm reading a couple books right now. One's by Eugene Patterson. He's the one that wrote the message. A lot of people have a problem with the message. Remember, a lot of our Bibles are commentaries. And, and when you put it in another language, you're, you're taking the interpretation, many in English, and you're putting in the language of the other people so they can understand the gospel. So he, he does have a lot of critics. But I, I like the message, but I will use the actual transliteration 
using the NIV, the King James, the New King James, and other Bibles like that. But he is a great, great man of God. He went to a famous preacher and he said, listen, before you prepare a sermon, what, what, what do you go through? What do you usually do? He said, well, I go knock on doors on Tuesdays and I knock on doors on Fridays. And I hear the heartbeat of the people and it helps me when I preach my sermon. You guys wonder at times why I, I say when you get to the back and if you're a guest here, you'll hear from me. What? I visit for food. I'm still waiting to get in some of your homes. I want to visit. Why? I want to get to know you. It will help me be a better servant, a better pastor, a better shepherd, which we'll get to in a moment. I want to hear your heartbeat. I want to preach to where I honor God, but, but it actually is hitting home with what we're going through, what you're going through in your lives. So you, you, you don't want to look for a pastor that just flatters you and tells you what you want or a pastor that's just interested in your pocketbook. I looked up one of the most famous and wealthiest pastors in the United States for the last 15, 20 years. Do you know who that is? I heard some different names. Kenneth? Okay, in the United States. I should have said United States. Kenneth Copeland. I was looking up anywhere from $750 million to he claims to be a billionaire, three jets, multiple homes. Now, remember, it's not how much a person makes. It's what they do with what they make. So, so we're not saying people can't be influential and be givers. But in this case, you kind of cross the line to where it seems like you're greedy. God doesn't want us to be in the ministry for greed. I, listen, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to turn on the television and listen to someone pumping over and over again. Sow a seed of $1,000. That guy's been on television for 40, 50 years. He's still saying, sow a seed of $1,000, and it will return back to you a hundredfold. Well, again, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to find out. It seems like, I don't know 100% for sure, it seems like it, he's in it for the money. And so you want to make sure that you find an influential pastor that does not use flattery to impress you. I think about a, another one in this verse. A pastor finds his praise from God. Remember before I said a pastor that's influential wants to please God. But Paul wanted to find his praise from God, not from people. Notice in verse 6. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Now, I want to say to you, first and foremost, Jacob and I want to get our praise from God. But because we serve you, we, we certainly want to bless you. We don't want to get to the back door and you say, what an awful sermon. Because you believe like me and I believe like you. We, we are very like-minded people. We're here to worship God together. And so I, I want to please him first, but we don't mind when we're encouraged with saying, boy, you, you, you spoke to 
the church. You, you spoke to our needs and, and you spoke accurately and you spoke the truth. We don't mind hearing that. But first and foremost, we want to get our praise from God. A lot of times when I finish here, I go in my office and I fall on my knees and I say, God, I, I pray. Like, almost like a child going to daddy and say, Daddy, are you pleased with how I served up your word? Were you pleased sitting here? God, were you pleased with my worship? I, I focused on, and I was intentional about listening to what you were saying as we sang or as, as the pastor spoke. And so our desire First and foremost is to get our praise from God. So when you're looking for a pastor, you, you want someone that seeks his praise from God first and foremost. Then I think about a pastor. Here's a big one. As a father shepherding God's people. This is so needed in our day and age of great orators. Let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 7. Paul's saying to this church, as an apostle of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you. But instead, we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives also. Don't you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked among you, day and night we told to earn a living, so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preached God's good news to you. And you know that we treated each of you as a father treats his own children. You see, pastors come in all shapes and sizes. And some bark a little loud, some are a little timid, some are a little quiet, but they come in all sizes and shapes. But really when you're looking for a, an influential pastor, modeling a good church, you're looking for someone that is good at relationships with other people because that's the business he is in. Today, they got people that come on stage, and after they preach a sermon, they, they got a, a swarm of people that come and swoop them off stage and go to the back room, and they never get to talk to the people at all. You see, God asked us to shepherd the people, to care for them like a father does his children, as a mother does his children. That's why I want to get in your home and get to know you. I want to know all the good stuff so I can preach on Sunday morning on you. That's why you're not inviting me in your home, because you're afraid I'm going to say something about you on Sunday morning. In making a, a Christian leader, Ted Engstrom expands on this fact that a good leader is one that gets along with people. The great American entrepreneur, he said, John D. Rockefeller, stated, I will pay more for the ability to deal with people than any other ability under the sun. According to a report by American Management Association, an overwhelming people of 200 people that were surveyed or who participated in survey, survey agreed that the most single important skill to have was one's ability to get along with people. In a survey, management rated this ability more vital than intelligence, 
decisiveness, knowledge, job skills, or IQ, relational skills. So when you're looking for a pastor, you, you, you want to find a pastor that's influential and, and that knows how to get along with people. Now, Jesus is the greatest lover of all time. So you could look at him and say, well, he didn't get along with everybody. So we're not saying that everyone's going to love me and I'm going to love everyone else, but they chose not to love him. But he was very good with his relational skills. And a, and a good pastor, an influential pastor, knows how to get along with people. You want to look for that ability when you're looking to find the home church, when you're looking for someone to be a spiritual influence in your life. We're in the people business after all. A couple more and we're finished. A pastor also, an influential pastor, is a factor in church growth. Notice in 1 Thessalonians verse 9. He said, do you remember, dear brothers and sisters, how hard we worked amongst you? Night and day we told to earn a living so that we would not be a burden to any of you as we preach God's good news to you. You see, before there was paid clergy, it was all done by you guys. There was no such thing as the laity and then the pastors. That was developed by another church organization. Really, we're all ambassadors for Jesus Christ. When an organization gets so big, then finally you have someone that will be employed full-time because there's so much to take care of. Just like in a small business, some people have started their small business while working another job. Pretty soon the business grows, they quit that one, and they give themselves full-time to that particular business. But you know that 60% of our churches are run by bivocational pastors. That means they're like the Apostle Paul. They, they make tents for a living as well as make the living off the gospel. Now, God does call many, many. I just told you, 60% of the pastors in our country are bivocational pastors. Are they less than the megachurch pastors? Not at all. I already told you, the backbone of our country is the small business, the small churches. But we need to remember, God also calls people to be full-time in the ministry, he does say this about ministers who are full-time or, or even bivocational. In 1 Timothy 5, you don't have it, but you might want to jot this down. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17. It said, elders who do their work well should be respected and paid well. You know, in the tune of $750 million. Especially those who work hard at both preaching and teaching. For the scripture says... You must not muzzle an ox to keep it from eating its threads out the grain, because it threads out the grain. Another place it says, those who work deserve their pay. <clears throat> and so, starting in the book of the Old Testament, God has set aside many of you to do all different kinds of trades, and he has designed a way for you to get paid. He has designed a way for pastors and clergy to be paid and that is he instituted back in the garden the first two boys that were raised on the face of this earth. They gave back God part of what he held them responsible for. And they gave a tithe back to God. That's how 
the Levites existed, and that's how the clergy exists. So you want to make sure that uh, the pastor is worthy of that, but he is worthy of double honor. Now, I want to say this. I've also used this of people that we employ or places that I solicit businesses from. It is so wrong for a Christian not to pay their bills because that air conditioning guy, that carpenter, that lawyer, whoever you are, you also, we should not muzzle the ox that treads the corn. And when someone comes to this church and does a work for us, unless they're volunteering for an hour or so, we always want to pay them for the service they rendered unto us. Or if someone takes care of your automobile. And I, when I sit around with a lot of guys, sometimes they, they lamb blast Christians and it, they're, they're just picking on us. But there are some Christians who will not pay their bills. And they have the money to do it. So whatever service is rendered unto you, remember that tune that goes for the pastors, goes for you. Do not muzzle the ox that treads the corn. In other words, they did a service for you. Pay them for the service they gave to you. That will cause you to have a great testimony. And that causes us to have a good testimony at a church when we ask for you to help service something in this church. We almost always pay that person a decent salary and wage, unless you just insist that you want to do this for the glory of God. But um, another problem that Paul addressed in this church, and the reason why he did not receive any pay for them was a reason. He had to, uh, he encountered a problem, and many people were getting saved, and they weren't doing anything at all. They were waiting for the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And they were not working. So Paul addresses that in 1 Thessalonians. He addresses it in a greater way in 2 Thessalonians. Here's what he said. We hear that some of you are living idle lives. Now, our, our government should take a hold of this. We're not talking about people that are sick, people that, that cannot work. You know we're not talking about that. We should have compassion on the poor. We should have compassion on those who cannot eke out a living for themselves. We're not talking about those kinds of people. We're kind of talking about people today. We need desperately, we need workers, and someone else is just giving them money. Paul addresses that right here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. We hear some of you are living idle lives. Do you think that applies today? Refusing the work and meddling in other people's business. Remember, an idle mind is a devil's workshop. It's exactly what's happening today. Why there's so much crime, there's so many problems. People are being paid by the government to do absolutely nothing. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, if I was trying to flatter you, if I was trying to you know, be cool, I probably wouldn't mention stuff like this. If I was trying to be cool to the people looking in online and looking for a church, how dare the pastor say something like that? Welfare is great. Well, welfare is good for the people that actually need it, not for the people that can work. The reason I don't give dollars out there when I'm driving my car down at a corner and someone stops, they're, they're walking around better than some of you can walk around. And I'm going to give them some of my hard-earned money? No way. They can get a job. They can work. Try this next time you see someone. Hey, hop in my truck. I got a lawn to cut. See if they'll jump in with you. He continues, he says, 
We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good. Take note of those who refuse to obey what we say in this letter. Stay away from them so they will be ashamed. Don't think of them as enemies, though, but warn them as you would a brother or sister. So when you're looking for a pastor, you're looking for pastors that are hard workers, that are not lazy. And we're looking for people that are not lazy also. He is also faultless and faultless in how he lives. You're looking for a pastor that's faultless. We'll explain that. Verse 10. You yourselves are our witnesses, and so is God, that we were devout and honest and faultless toward all you who believed. That does not mean perfection. There is no pastor that can stand up in the pulpit and say, he is perfect. Neither can you who are sitting looking up here say you're perfect. You don't hold me to perfection. I won't hold you to perfection. However, I do want to remind you, our God does teach us to what? Pursue perfection. If he said pursue something less than perfection, look how much sin we would commit. But he is asking us to pursue. Some people interpret maturity. I do believe it needs to be interpreted that way, but Jesus was more than just mature. He is perfect, and he wants us to be just like him. And when we fail to be just like him, there are provisions for you and me that is grace, mercy, forgiveness that we're so thankful for. But you're looking for influential pastors that are faultless in the way they live lives. When I do fail or make a mistake or sin, you are to forgive me just like I forgive you. It is a, it, what he's really talking about is a lifestyle that you're walking in righteousness. I'm walking in righteousness. You're looking for that in a pastor. Too often I hear people telling me to my ears why they're not going to a specific church because of the well-known immorality of a particular pastor. And yet people still go to church there. They still turn on that station. They still watch that minister on television, knowing the continual open failures that these, these pastors have. That's what you're looking for. One final one. Verse 12. Remember, we're looking at an influential people of a model church. We're looking at influential pastors, leaders in your home. I, I, I know that one... Bible teacher, for example, who is a spiritual leader in the home, knew someone in their group, they were having an affair with each other. He said nothing at all. But doesn't he have an obligation to kind of help? We, we don't chastise. See, we sin too. So when I approach you about anything, I, I approach you with fear and trembling because I want to help you. I want to help you. And, and I want you to help me. We're here to help one another. We're not here to look down our noses if we've never done anything or you've never done anything. But we do have to correct the problem. And he said nothing. So you also want small group leaders that are the same way. Those Bible study leaders in the home, expect the same thing from them as you would expect from a pastor. Remember, fruitfulness is not defined in bigness. 
We've already established that. So he says, we plead with you, in verse 12, encourage you, encouraged you to live your lives in a way that God would consider worthy. For he called you to share in his kingdom and his glory. Hmm. We teach people in our church. Jacob came up here with living God's way. Ever since I've been able to, I've been, I wanted to teach my family to live God's way. When you walk in here, some of you didn't even know it existed, I had to tell you. But over the sanctuary doors, it says, living God's way. I get that from Micah 4.2. That's really kind of the verse of my life. Teaching everyone that will listen to me to live God's way. By I first look in the mirror and I teach myself to live God's way. You want an influential pastor that teaches himself to live God's way, then teaches his family to live God's way. Then he may be capable of helping God's people learn to live God's way. An influential pastor. What are you looking for when you look for someone to be a shepherd of your soul, to shepherd you and influence you? I'll leave you with this little story. You think churches, even our size, this church here is almost, we're almost the same size as this church. A pastor of the same church for 50 years, um, nearly his entire ministry career, Virgil, uh, a monk son, has seen God do great and mighty things. He doesn't just do it in big places. In fact, his church began to grow numerically and spiritually just about the time he was ready to throw in the towel. I've been there, weeping at the altar, asking God, what is happening? Where is the spiritual fruit? But a prophetic promise from God kept him in place. Pastor Virgil stepped down in October from his post as senior pastor, but can testify of the value of persevering at a time when many pastors are taken in by bright lights, big city, or bigger is better mentality. You see, we're pressured with that when we're in seminary, when we're in college. The same thing that a businessman or a businesswoman is pressured with, get bigger, grow bigger, we want more, bigger paycheck. The same thing can happen to pastors. So his Shell Lake Full Gospel Church, FGC, of Shell Lake, Wisconsin, is an example of a small church with big impact. Located in a quiet lakefront town of 1,300 in northwest Wisconsin, Shell Lake, FGC, averages 275 people in attendance. So it's amazing to see what it is people have accomplished spiritually and financially in 50 years. First of all, the congregation owes a 20,000-plus square foot facility that is debt-free. We've told you how many times. We want you to be faithful. We want you to give. There are many things to do. We have a roof that needs to be repaired that's going to cost over 100-something thousand. So there are things that the church needs, but we have led the church debt-free, just like this church. Also, it supports missionaries in 37 countries to the tune of 552,000 in the last physical year, 200 and 75 people gave that much money to missions. This year, we're on target to give about 50,000 people, excuse me, $50,000 to missionaries and ministries that support ministries like Love Life. Also, 
Not many small rural, rural congregations have that kind of track record. So what makes Shell Lake FGC different? And what can this church teach other small congregations? The story of, of this pastor uh, at Shell Lake is not really about nickels and noses. Rather, it's about how lives are revolutionized when someone cares enough to show mercy. Believe in them and encourage them in their lives in ministry. The greatest key to success in ministry is to invest in people. He says, we need to get out of ourselves and invest in others and bring them into their greatest productivity. Sowing life, sowing encouragement, sowing hope. These are the things that make a church very strong and very effective and will cause it to continue to grow. The principles in God's word is whatever you sow, you reap. And I'm strongly convinced of that. Well, this is the model church that Jacob and I are going to continue to talk about in the next couple weeks. I hope you've been able to think about in your mind and heart, what do I look for when I want to join a church? And what do I look for in a pastor or even in a small group? As Jacob and I encourage you, Next month, start looking now. We're going to be posting, I believe this week or next week, we're going to be posting all the small groups that are available, including the ones that meet on Sunday morning at 9 o'clock. We want you to sign up for a group to get into a relationship with other believers so they can meet your needs, you can help meet their needs, and you can grow. Would you stand at this time? Perhaps this is a type of message that you're thinking, wow, uh, you know, what about someone that doesn't know Christ as their Savior? Now, first of all, you're not even going to want to please God. So the way to please God is to love His Son. To love His Son, you must admit that you're a sinner. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. Know that Jesus died and bled on the cross. His blood is the antidote for your sin. And God said, if you'll believe in my Son, I will forgive you of your sins. I will adopt you in my family. You will have a home in heaven and you will never suffer the second death. So if today you're looking in online, you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, please jot down in the comment section. Let us know what God is doing in your heart, how we can pray for you. We'll get in touch with you this week. If you're here today, you can write down in one of the prayer cards. You can also tell Jacob and I, hey, I'm ready to make my decision for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're getting ready to have baptisms in February. You know what? I've been saved, but I've never gotten baptized. I'd like to become a candidate for baptism. You can tell us, or you can go online and fill out the form and say, I want to be a candidate for baptism. Well, let me ask you this. Has it been, to be, has it been good to be in God's house today? Would you give it the praise of Let's continue to worship Him now. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way. Everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.